Well, week five is almost in the books. There's only one team in the NFC East below 500. There's only one team in the NFC West above 500. And the best wildcard team in the AFC, the New York Jets. We don't know what the hell is happening anymore, but we're going to do our best to find out. It's time to take a look at the good, the bad, and the box score. Uh, or pass completion. Here's Lamar on a run. back indeed welcome to another episode of the good the bad and the box score i am your host justin j will underscore ff joining me as always the man the myth the legend wyatt bertalone wyatt b underscore ff wyatt not feeling the hottest tonight are we no but i don't call in sick so here we go so here we go so we're gonna we're gonna do our best to get you in and out as quick as possible and give everybody some good content for their monday mornings you rock the shit out of that mute button do what you gotta do uh we are also recording a little bit early to make sure we can get wyatt a quicker chance to get some rest so we got about 10 minutes until Bengals and ravens kick off i'm sure that'll start before we get finished up but we're a little bit of a head schedule tonight which is a, a good place to be enjoying some baseball playoffs as we speak some mets and padres action our cleveland guardians through to the second round let's go uh we're also going to switch up the format a little bit for those of you who are returning viewers we're just going to do two best performing and two underperforming uh players for this week just to kind of speed things along so let's take a look at some of these injury notes first i think that was the big news of the day uh let's start with the three impactful concussions wyatt that's teddy bridgewater who puts up zero points basically is out of the game as soon as it starts uh chris alave who got hit so hard in the end zone towards the end of that game that you could see from the TV that he was just like not mentally present after he bounced up off the ground uh, and a Pat Fryermuth concussion as well. I don't think any of the three of them looked particularly good. I don't know where the Dolphins go from here. Any extra flavor you want to add to these concussions? That's looking not good for all three of these guys right now. No, unfortunately, with every concussion, you don't really know what to do other than just monitor the news that comes out. There's not, that's all you can do. Yeah, and wait and see what happens there. That that kind of puts a lot of extra pressure on folks who are looking to play or have pieces of the Dolphins offense because now it's not just Tua, it's Teddy. Obviously, one thing that I think a lot of us at JWB had said throughout the week was just go ahead and feel comfortable with Hill and Waddle. Not going to be the case with Skylar Thompson. So we're really going to have to pay attention to all that. Um, in addition to that, though, Mr. Hill walking around in a boot after the game, huh? Yeah, that one... Um... Can't really find much information on it other than, you know, he left the game with a foot injury late in the game and then he was found in a boot afterwards. And that's all we know at this point. And a walking boot is never good news. Never good, especially for someone who like makes speed their bread and butter like Tyreek does. So we're really going to have to pay close attention to everything going on with the Dolphins. It's just crazy, man. Like the, the vibes were so good after the Ravens win and the Bills win. And now here we are just two weeks later in the Tua drama, the Bridgewater drama, the Hill drama, the Jets have now jumped them after the divisional win today. And all of a sudden the Dolphins are now third place in the division with a three and two record. That's just how quick the NFL moves. And it's fascinating to watch uh, within that division. 
We saw an explosion from Ramondre Stevenson today, and it was awesome. I'll chalk a lot of that up to the Lions, but a portion of Ramondre's work is due to Damian Harris and the hamstring injury. What do you know? Yeah, same thing as Tyreek that basically, you know, left the game and we didn't get much information other than just a hamstring injury. And yeah, as you mentioned, Ramondre obviously reaped the benefits of that. He got all of the end of the game when they were just trying to pound the ball out and he did very well with it, granted, against the Lions, which is a defense that we know to target for running backs. Yeah, for sure. Um, We targeted Rashad Penny against that particular defense last week. This week, fractured tibia. What, how long? What could this mean? Uh, I mean, I would be surprised if it's not season ending. I think yeah. like it's there. The the optimate uh, optimism is that he could play at some point this year. But like you know, when it's when that's when that's the best case scenario, my guess is that it's just it's done for him, which is unfortunate. This is a story of Rashad Penny's career. Insanely talented. Whenever he's on the field, he is doing great things, producing like crazy. But he just, just has the worst luck when it comes to injuries. But this opens the door for Kenneth Walker. They draft in the second round. And of course, right afterwards, he rips off a 69-yard touchdown, which he looked pretty good on. Um, he didn't have to do a lot. It was blocked pretty well, but he showed his burst. And his That's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, that happened to Rashad Penny against the Lions last right. week. So if he can take right. advantage of that, that's good to know. Get out there. Get a 69-yard touchdown. And with nice. how good this yeah. offense has looked with Geno Smith, which I'm sure we'll mention later, um, they're putting up a lot of points. Like, that's the team you want. Uh, you want the weapons of that offense. Yeah, I agree completely. But, um, I, you know, man, unlucky, yes. But there's a big difference between unlucky and repetitive patterns. And looking for repetitive patterns is a big part of this game of fantasy football. And I think if you asked a lot of people before the season about number of healthy games from Rashad Penny, if you would have told people four and a half games of Rashad Penny and then he's out for the year, I think a ton of people would have said that yeah, seems say, about if right. If they an over under four games played for Rashad Penny before the year, it would have been set like five or so. Yeah. That, that was so, my guess. So here we go. We got a couple of bad games, a good game and a really good game out of him and can't make it all the way through the fourth. And now it's Ken Walker's backfield to kind of ascend into, and we'll see how it goes from there. Um, But while we're here, man, let's get into some top performers. I'm going to flip the order a little bit because we're talking about rookie running backs who are overperforming. And we've had this kind of steady rise in Brees Hall the past couple of weeks where I feel like in weeks one and two of this show, we were just kind of acknowledging that like he was doing well with opportunity and week three and last week we're acknowledging that now he's like two thirds of the opportunity and this should, this should be a chance to see some explosion. And then we get this week where there's some injuries that allow the jets to do a lot more in the running game than maybe we would have anticipated. They would have Brees turns that into 97 yards and a touchdown on 18 carries. So just below a hundred. Two catches on two targets, but they went for 100 yards. And the interesting thing to note here with Brees Hall is that if you did not have a chance to watch this game, everyone, it's not just that Brees delivered good numbers for you with 197 yards from scrimmage. It's that two of these opportunities were tackles on the one that turned into one-yard Michael Carter touchdown. So this is very easily... A what? What are we talking about? Like a 20 to 25 point day that was on the doorstep of 40. If two plays would have went for one additional yard, which they very easily could have. It's looking impressive for Brees. 
Yeah, we talked about last week. The usage was at the point where, at worst, just on usage, he's an RB2. And if the Jets offense plays well, he's an RB1. Well, it played well today. He's an RB1. It's pretty, it's pretty simple as that. Like, uh, we kind of always assumed that he was going to take over the backfield at some point. He's the better prospect comparatively to Michael Carter. Michael Carter's good, no, no doubt about it. But he is not the prospect and player that Brees Hall is. So it's just a matter of time before we got the usage. We got the usage last week. Today we got the breakout. Yeah, hopefully we can see that continue as well. The Jets will be going uh, to Green Bay to play the Packers next week, and that is an interesting game. I, for one, and I, I don't want to put like JWB here with me, so I'll just say that this is kind of my isolated take, but I don't view the Packers as a good enough team or a good enough offense to blow the doors off of anyone. Let alone I'm, I'm the right Jets there with right you. Now I, keep I was going to say, I think it's a good fight. matchup. Yeah, right. I do too. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes and what that looks like. But, it, you know, I, three two Jets are going to have a chance to make some noise on the road in Green Bay next week. And that's going to be a fun game to watch. I wish it wasn't a one o'clock start time, but we'll get to catch as much of that as possible. Uh, also, in that one o'clock window, I, I don't know, man. I don't know what to make of this. I don't believe it. I know you believe it. You believed it all offseason, especially from a best ball perspective. I will never feel comfortable with Taysom Hill. I'm telling you right now that I am probably like in, in this way, Wyatt, I bet I'm the everyman of fantasy football that seven out of 10 people listening to this out there think the same thing I do, that if I go try and play Taysom Hill next week, he's going to have two carries for zero yards and be absolutely worthless. But here we are looking at a Michael Thomas list, Jameis Winston list, partially Chris Olave list, Saints offense that did get Alvin Kamara back, but at no point throughout the year have the Saints been fully healthy and Taysom Hill's been performing the whole time. Today, it was batshit crazy. He throws one pass. It's a 22-yard touchdown. The reason that that one pass turns into a 22-yard touchdown is because he carried the ball nine times for 112 yards and three touchdowns. That's four touchdowns out of Taysom Hill. He's going to finish the week as both quarterback and tight end one. Probably like it. What the hell, man? Is this going to keep happening? Do, like, do I have to pay attention to this? Uh, it's <laughs> it's it's a little weird. So first off, I am going to give myself the pat on the back that I was saying uh, he's a free spot, basically, in best ball on underdog as tight end. He was going around like ADP 200 because uh, you never know. He could play quarterback at some point. He could have games like this. He's a great pick. I got hate for it, but. I'm laughing now. Anyways, so <laughs> it's hard to start Taysom Hill. It takes a lot of balls to start Taysom Hill. If if you're not in like a really deep, uh, really long starting lineup league to actually put him in your lineups. But I think there is a little bit of a key to being able to do it. And that's when the Saints are out multiple players on offense, they have to rely on Taysom Hill more. So you know he's going to get more opportunities. They're without Jameis Winston, so they, they knew their passing offense could suffer a little bit. They're without Michael Thomas, so they're down a weapon. They're down Jarvis Landry, so another weapon. So you like when they have injuries like that, they're going to use Taysom Hill more, right? So that's when you can have a little bit more faith putting him in your lineup. I can understand not having that faith no matter what. Can't blame you for it. It's tough to do it. But I think that is like the key that if they're missing weapons, like you might be able to start Taysom Hill. I also want to quickly shout out my dude Davis Pang on Twitter, uh, Pang's Picks FF. Yeah. Uh, I posted the video of Kenneth Walker running his 69 yard touchdown, 
And he commented, you know, something effective like Taysom Hill's going to do that next. And then that's when Taysom Hill had a 60 yard touchdown run. It was like the funniest interaction that I've ever had on Twitter because it was like magic. He literally called the Taysom Hill 60 yard touchdown. And there it went. Fascinating. I got to see a little bit of that while I was chilling in the commander's game, but it, I don't know, man. We'll see. I, I don't think anyone's going to have the faith to go out and just start him next week. But like, if Winston comes back healthy, do you take the shine off of this? Or if you are, if you're a super flex person, are you really looking at running out Taysom Hill as a quarterback if that's what he's eligible for in your second quarterback spot? If he is eligible as a quarterback, I, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't be doing that unless he's actually playing quarterback. Um, I'm pretty sure he's basically just tight end almost everywhere at this time. I think. But if even if Jameis Winston comes back, if Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry are both still out, it's like it's something where you could get in. He could start getting into your flex conversation, maybe like in deep leagues. Uh, but yeah, if, if Michael Thomas or Jarvis Landry is back, I'm, I'm probably not going to put him with any faith. That's wild. Uh, all right, let's talk about a couple of underperformers. While we do so, Sunday Night Football has kicked off. Jamar Chase has got a couple catches and 11 yards on the first drive. Looks like the Bengals are about to uh, punt it away, but that's I, it, you know, that's probably the reason why we're subconsciously only doing two players in the overperforming categories because we know that Jamar Chase had about 400 yards against the Ravens last year, so we're just leaving the spot open for him by proxy to to do what he should be able to do today. Uh, Underperformers, let's start out with Chase Edmonds. Weird game because Bridgewater is the game plan, and that goes out the window in the first drive and then kind of scrambling to figure out what the hell happens from there. But even in a world where the game plan goes out the window and your game scripted out of using your running backs, Raheem Mostert's all over the field catching passes and scoring touchdowns and doing Raheem Mostert things. Chase ends up with no catches on a couple of targets and a carry for a yard. That is a .1 half PPR performance out of Chase Edmonds in a game where there's not even a hint of injury. It's not like he took a... It's not like he gets banged up at any point or has anything happen. It's just that bad of a game. This is starting to turn into much more of a pattern. What what are you seeing with this droppage and his usage? Yeah, this one's especially unfortunate because we I know us two for sure were definitely big into Chase Edmonds this offseason. But from what I understand, looking around, I mean, I know he dropped one of these passes that was thrown his way is that it's just the Dolphins don't really trust him anymore, it seems like. Uh, they trust Raheem Mostert in the run game much more than Chase Edmonds, and he's had some issues with these drops so far. I Like, Miles Gaskin was playing over him today. Like, I think either he is in the doghouse for a game after, you know, screwing up, or they just don't trust him, and he could just be done. Like, he might be third string now. They. Um, we're going to... We're gonna have to Clarify. pay attention to the to the reports. Clarify. Clarify the they. They don't trust him. The Dolphins. More. Who doesn't trust him? The coaching staff. I mean McDaniel, right? Like Yeah, right. I mean, like, yeah, problem. it's his system, right? It's his, it's his system. system. It's his game plan. Mostert knows it. He brought in Chase Edmonds thinking he fits the system, which by all accounts we uh we understood that he did. Like he was one of the better inside zone runners last year, which is part of what uh, Mike McDaniel does, but 
it's not working in Miami and he knows he can trust Mostert. And I think that's the big piece that worries me the most here is because it's not just that it's starting to become a repetitive pattern. It's that McDaniel might just be the type of person who is willing to trust his gut and his gut is telling him he doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. Like he's not the guy for this offense. And we don't know enough about McDaniel to know. Does he like to give people second chances? Does he trust someone like Mostert so much that Edmonds is completely done? Is he the type of coaching personality that doesn't give a shit what your contract says or how much we paid you or that you just came here this off season? And he could be like, we kind of know around the league. Who's Think about who? the coaching staff he came from, which was that exact way. Doesn't it look like it's Brandon Ayuk, but Chase Edmonds in a Dolphins uniform? You did a couple things. You made me mad. Now I'm putting you in the doghouse and you're either going to figure it out or you're not. But while you're figuring it out, you're useless to everyone from a fantasy perspective. And it's I'm seeing a lot of those parallels. And it's I think we all just have to understand good matchup. Even in good matchups is how I should say that. Even when the matchup looks good, we got to come off of Edmonds completely for the time being and play literally any other option that you can come up with. Um, it, it has been a repetitive pattern for him. It has not been a repetitive pattern for the Lions. The highest scoring team in the NFL does not put up a single point today on the road in New England. Weird matchup, man. And I remember I talked to you a little bit about this in preparation for doing the uh, Crushing the Competition show with Jake earlier in the week about how I was worried about the Lions going on the road to Foxborough and thought the game plan might not look the way they wanted it to. I, never in a million years did I expect it would look like this. So let's try and break this down. Goff is horrible. The wide receivers are useless. Jamal Williams gets some yards on the ground, but again, there's no touchdown. So no one here is producing anything of note. Hawk is basically invisible. It doesn't matter what Lions piece we're referencing. They're all horrendous. How much of this performance do you credit to guys playing in the game, even though they probably were not healthy enough to be playing in the game? Let's start there with just that question. Um, I don't think that really has anything to do with it. I would think that if Amon Ra wasn't like close to a hundred percent, he wouldn't be playing this game because they really had no reason to play him in a game in which he wasn't a hundred percent. How much of this do you think is New England's defensive game plan? I do think it was New England's defensive game plan. Um, they were bothering Jared Goff all game and, uh, like Bill can do, if he says he wants to take a player away, he's going to take that player away. And in this case, I think he more or less took the middle of the field away, taking away Amon Ra and TJ Hawkinson and said, if you yeah. can beat us with Josh Reynolds and whoever after that, go for it. But we're not going to let you beat us across the middle with, with Amon Ra and Hawkinson. If that's true, and the reason we see the performance from the Lions that we did today, is because the Patriots, and we shouldn't even say the Patriots, because Bill Belichick is a defensive genius with some of these sorts of matchups. Then it stands to reason that next week, the week after, sometime in the near future, when we're looking at a healthy Lions receiving core and a eventual return of DeAndre Swift, that we're going to see more of what we saw from the Lions the first couple weeks and not as much as what we saw today. True? Yeah, I think more or less um, 
I mean, we're not going to see those like 35 point games every week, right? Um, they're a good offense in the way that they have talent. They have a good offensive line. Jared Goff is good enough for an offense to put up points, but we're not going to see those big offensive weeks week in and week out, especially if teams can take what New England did and put it into practice. That's always as easy as it sounds. Bill Belichick is who he is for a reason. Uh, people have been trying to duplicate what he does for a long time. So, like, would I be surprised if the Lions came out next week and had another offensive explosion? No, I wouldn't be. But I would also wouldn't be surprised if we see them come down to earth a little bit more from where they were. Yeah, I mean, I I do agree with that, right? Like, it was always going to regress back to the mean in some sense. But from fantasy perspective, like the team and the offense can regress back to the mean and still have pieces that are big and valuable. It's not the same intellectual defensive strategy that the Patriots have. But now you're going to have people looking at this rough week from the Lions after being really excited about them who see, if I'm not mistaken, right, on Yahoo and ESPN, a whole bunch of red next to their Lions players when they go on the road to the Cowboys next week, who just made the Rams look foolish today. Uh, do, are the Cowboys the sort of matchup where you think it's going to be like it was this week and you're going to see a lot of issues? Closer to this. Like, I don't expect them to get shut out, obviously. Yeah. But, but the Cowboys are a very good defense. A very good defense. So, yeah, like, I would not be expecting big weeks from the Lions offense. Like, uh, I mean... Amon Ra, like I'm gonna, I'm not gonna sit Amon Ra. Like I can't, I can't. I mean, maybe someone has the balls to sit Amon Ra, but a guy who has commanded targets the way that he has his time in the NFL, I can't sit him. Hawkinson, you're not finding much better tight ends if like Hawkinson's your starting tight end. If you have Hawkinson, you don't really have a better option on your roster. Probably not. So there's nothing we really can do about it. But until Swift comes back, you know, you can you play Swift when he's uh, healthy. When he's not healthy, you can play Jamal Williams. But, you know, it's going to get back to that where it's more condensed. You're not going to be able to, like, rely on playing Josh Reynolds week in, week out. He had a good week this week, but that's, like I said, because the Patriots let, you know, the outside receivers do what they want. And this was all, and it was also all in garbage time. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll see, man. I didn't feel super confident about Jamal Williams this week. And I know we're the breakdown show, not the preview show, but I'm already thinking ahead to myself, like, Swift is out again next week. Let's just say that's the case. Am I going to feel more comfortable playing Jamal Williams after what I saw this week? Or am I going to want to play Ken Walker against the Cardinals in a home game where it's entirely his backfield? And like, I wouldn't even have yeah. had Ken Walker and Jamal Williams in the same conversation this morning. And now here we are 12 hours later. And I think it's no brainer that I would play yeah. Walker before I played Jamal Williams. That's how quick it moves. Yeah, I agree with you. And I do want to quickly shout out you for saying like, you didn't just say like the Lions are going to have a bad week on crushing the competition. You were like, they're they're going to be bad. Like you should play the Lions, and it was one hundred percent true. Yeah, I just I didn't feel I didn't feel good about it at all, man. And it, it, not to that level. It's just I, I to me, I thought it was going to be not running a lot of offensive plays because it was going to be a lot of running and a lot of ball control and time management from the Patriots. And it was at the beginning. It's just the Patriots look so comfortable, and Ramondre looks so comfortable that they were able to just go ahead and do whatever they wanted, um, which is important to note. Like I understand we're talking about the lions, but if, if Ramondre could look as comfortable as he did in about half of the games that they play, 
well, shit, like if Bailey Zappi can competently do this, what does this mean for Mac Jones when he comes back? Can we start to get back to the sort of Patriots team that we saw give us some useful pieces last year? Jacoby Myers was useful today for like the first time all year. And that means something because there's there's a lot of Patriots players that fall into those mid to late picks that are useful for people when it comes to this part of the season where injuries and bye weeks accumulate. So it, for me, it was good to see that out of the Patriots for sure. Um, let's talk about some other interesting headlines. I'm going to try and give you some of what I think are the bigger ones. And you can tell me which of these bigger ones you're most interested in talking about. Kenny Pickett makes his first start. It goes about as well as you would figure your first start against Buffalo would go. Not good at all. Uh, Gabe Davis has a massive spike week off the back of two huge touchdowns. Leonard Fournette looks really, really good today. Touchdown regression on the ground and through the air. Chubb and Eckler, both in the same game against each other, shout out to anybody who said Eckler anytime touchdown, Chubb and Eckler look great going up against each other today. So we got some big heavy hitters who all performed either really well or not so well. Which one do you want to take a closer look at? I actually want to talk about Kenny Pickett because I don't think it's as bad as you may maybe made it seem. Uh, granted, 34 of 52? Yeah. 34 of 52. I mean, you can have 327 yards, man. You threw the ball 34 times. You better have 400 Granted. yards throwing Granted. the ball 52 times. His first NFL start going against the Bills, who have a very good defense. Granted, a lot of this came in garbage time. Uh, but I mostly want to point out that he actually looks like he processes the NFL defenses at a higher uh higher acumen than um mitch trubisky which is basically wow. my my <laughs> i know like it's the bar is pretty low right but like that was my only concern for him because i thought you know otherwise physically he he's a lot like mitch trubisky so i didn't know how much the offense would change but he actually looks like a quarterback who could process the defense enough to know to like and, and spread the ball around mitch trubisky tended to fixate on one side of the field that's not kenny pickett um, and he, he made like all of the pass catchers actually relevant again, granted garbage time, but we weren't getting that with, with Trubisky and they were basically always in garbage time because they were always losing. Yeah. So the so, fact that like he can even do this is a step from, from where it's we worth were. drilling that down a little bit. So I, I would say, take these numbers and just take 20% off of them. 52 pass attempts is a little ridiculous. 20% would be 10 and a half. Let's pretend that Pickett had thrown the ball 41 times, which is a little bit more manageable. Uh, Pickens got eight targets. So we're saying that in a normal game, he's still good for like six. Deontay got 13 and that's the big one. The big question was what the hell is going to happen to Deontay? Cause he had about one target by the time Pickett came in in the second half last week. So that even if you take 2.6 off of that, that's 10 targets for Deontay and Claypool got nine. So if we're going to see Pickens get eight and Claypool get nine, and you're realistically telling me that on any, and that's that's the problem with the Steelers and trying to play them, to me. What you're saying is on any given Sunday, Pickens could get seven, eight targets. Claypool could get seven, eight targets. It just, to me, makes both of them unplayable for the same reason. Other people are going to see that the other way, which is I'm going to take my shot that in the right matchup, it's going to be a Claypool day. And his nine targets are going to go for something in a touchdown. But it 
I don't know, man, QBR of 57, quarterback rating of less than 75. It's the Bills, so I have to wait and see what he looks like against a different team. Who do they play next week? I think that's a good question. I mean, they got the Bucks next week, so I'm not going to see anything good from that either. Then they have the Dolphins, then they have the Eagles, then they have the Saints. It's not until close to Thanksgiving when they not, play not, the not Bengals. Beautiful. Yeah, I mean, it's but that is that what we're saying? Like, it's going to be... We're not sure what we're Listen, seeing. Listen, I'm not saying you can start Kenny Pickett. I'm just saying. Well, I'm worried like, about the receivers. Well, I think it's a step up for the receivers from where we were. So if anything, it's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, and outside of the receivers, hey, hey, whoever wants to let the folks at JWB know where to send the flowers for the Najee Harris funeral, we will have them on the way because that made us dead and buried from here on out. I mean, he even got four targets today, and I like looked at the box score, and I was like, "Shit, now you're here with four targets. We're really moving up in the world." And then caught myself thinking, "Like, what the hell? Like, where, where, what are we doing?" The the offensive line is absolute garbage. I have to imagine <sighs> that his preseason Liz Frank injury is still bothering him, but he's yeah, just I agree. too tough. Because yeah, he, he it's bad. It is, and it's we're about. Uh, I mean, I can already see like there's time to go, but we're going to spend an extensive amount of the offseason listening to probably guys like you tell guys like me why Najee Harris is the top buy for Dynasty football because it's going to be I don't a know, huge because he's already value. old. Yeah, so, that's like, true. <sighs> it's what a, yeah, if he has like if his season keeps I mean, he's already dropping in Dynasty value, but if it keeps going like this, like. I mean, yeah, it, it will probably get to a point where it's like, well, why not take the chance? But I'm sure it's yeah. going to drop in. All right, man, let me throw you some more random headlines. Tell me one or two of them that you want to elaborate on. This is a lot, so maybe if there's two in here you like, we can do them quickly. Uh, Injury-riddled Giants today. So big Darius Slayton's sighting. Has a pretty good game. Washington backfield, really interesting with the return of Brian Robinson because Robinson, Gibson, and McKissick kind of all made each other irrelevant. Geno Smith is still at quarterback one. That's one I was wrong about. I did not think that they were going to be able to go down to New Orleans against a pretty decent defense and have the game that they did, and it was outstanding. Monty came back and looked mostly healthy, and a mostly healthy Monty made Khalil Herbert about irrelevant. The whole Jags offense came back down to earth for the first time this year, and they did it against a Texas defense. That's not great. Uh, Baker Mayfield is going to use a funeral home immediately following Najee Harris because he is also dead and buried. Rondell Moore and Greg Dortch are the same damn person, and that's frustrating for everyone who couldn't trade Greg Dortch in the past two weeks. Uh, and the Rams are just broken. <laughs> like, they are a mess. What's what's your favorite thing on there to talk about? Uh, first one I want to do is Geno Smith. All right, go for um, it. He's for real, man. Yeah. Like his ball placement is incredible. It the is, long dude. touchdowns were beautiful. This is not a fluke. He's not it just makes like me so happy. These aren't like you know weird plays that you know just things were. No, he is making very very good throws, making great decisions week in and week out. I was all off season still in on DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett just because it was like, well, they're probably still going to get like 25% of the target share on this offense. Like Geno Smith is good enough. They'll be fine for their cost. But now it's like, those are the biggest discounts in fancy football. And Geno Smith, it was the, it was even bigger. It's wild. Like he is, he is just an actual QB, like fringe QB one at minimum fringe QB one rest of the season for me right now. 
I wonder if I could get a quick list together just while I'm thinking out loud. Rusty year, Stafford or Gino? Gino. Jimmy G. Gino. Obviously not Pickett. A healthy Tua? Let's say Tua comes back in two weeks and he's fine. Tua. That's about where we're at. Which was yeah, so Tua, I mean, that's like QB 13, QB 14. 14. There. Yeah. And this was the guy who was going undrafted. I mean, he yeah. like Trubisky and Gino and Mariota was two out of the three were the guys who like weren't even getting drafted in super flex leagues. And here we are. Dude, I absolutely love it. I want a t-shirt that says I ain't right back though. I want the back of that t-shirt to have a quote from Russell Wilson. Like, I understand we don't talk a ton about the Thursday game on this show, but Gino's out here looking amazing. Russell's out here talking about how none of the muscles on his body are attached to the rest of his body. And that's why his eyes can't see KJ Hamler because the shoulder doesn't work, I guess. Well, who the hell knows? But it just makes me so happy to, and I like hated the Seahawks for years because I just like, didn't like the vibe around that team. And I think it must've just been Russell Wilson because he leaves and Gino's playing well. And I'm like loving watching the Seahawks right now. So good for him. Uh, you got a second one you want to throw in real quick? Yeah. Let's talk about the Rams. Okay. Go for it. It's, I think it's been actually obvious for basically the entire season, but yeah. I feel like maybe there's been some hope that's been held out that they can put it back together. Well, but, that's because they're the Super Bowl champions and they've got Cup on the team who so everybody wants to believe, right. but you probably don't want to believe. But Andrew Whitworth retiring was yeah. just a, such a huge blow for this team because that decimated their offensive line essentially. Um, they can't block Matthew Stafford's blind side very well right now, and that's a big deal. Yeah. They also can't run the ball very well because At the all. offensive line is not playing well. And Cam Akers is dead in the water. Uh and then, you know, Alan Robinson, like after the first couple of weeks, I didn't think it was him. I thought, you know, okay, he's doing, he's getting open. But the more I watch him, the more I think like, nah, he looks like he's getting, he's pretty slow now. Like he was never, I mean, after his ACL injury when he was young, he was never quite the same athlete that he was. But he was still a good enough athlete. Right now, he doesn't look very good out on the field. Like I'm not surprised that he's not getting targeted. I think he is just washed. And like the fact that, Matthew Stafford just has to repeatedly throw five-yard passes to Tyler Higby and Ben Skoranek to try and move the ball is a problem. You can Obviously, you always play Cup. Good for him. You know, Cup is uh, doing his thing again. He might even do better than he did last year, which is wild. And, you know, Higby is a top six tight end right now with the amount of targets he sees, which is crazy. I mean, they're not very efficient. They're just a bunch of six-yard passes. But that's that's it. Like, I don't want to play anyone else on that team. Yeah, I think big nod for Higby, especially for people struggling at tight end, because Higby is just not the type of name where you should ever have to give up a ton of assets to get a guy like Higby. But man, with tight end looking like the wasteland that it is, the Rams offensive line being bad enough that Higby has to see this target volume the rest of the year is like one of the few year-long things I think I feel comfortable with. I'd be all over trying to get Higby if I thought I had a decent team, but I had a hole at tight end. Like, you sure as hell bet if I had Kyle Pitts, I'd be going to the guy who has Higby and being trying to give you Pitts for Higby and something. Sneaky sneaky idea that just came to my head right now. Uh, getting rid of Zach Ertz to go get Higby with the with DeAndre Hopkins coming back. Yeah, I would love that. In a second, I'd be happy to do that. And Ertz is like a top five tight end. 
at the moment. So you might but be able to I don't expect like him to say it that way, obviously. Yeah. Dude, rapid overreaction. But I think I'll say it just because I'm curious, like what you would think. Do you remember that the NFC East plays that ridiculously easy schedule? They like all four of those teams are like the top four teams and strength of schedule being as easy as they are. That gives you the Eagles, the Cowboys, and the Giants. 5-0-4-1-4-1. And two wildcard teams could come from there. Green Bay and Minnesota fighting for what would be a division crown in the last of the three wildcard spots. It is a very real possibility that after five weeks kind of reading the tea leaves, the Rams, who just won the Super Bowl, might have a very difficult time even getting into the playoffs this year. I, I would say it should be the expectation that they don't make the playoffs. That's wild. Who thought who the hell would have thought like we were all still thinking like they're the best team in the NFC six weeks ago. And now here we are. We don't even think that they're a playoff team. I mean, because yeah, it was like it was the retired. Rams, the Eagles and like the Buccaneers. We thought like these uh-huh. are the teams and now it's just the Eagles. Crazy. Like The Eagles are by far the best team in the NFC. So it's close. It's crazy. But man, absolutely fascinating. Um, before we get out of here, I'll throw in real quick that because I got to watch a lot of it, my opinion on the commander's backfield situation is you want to get out of everything that you can. Uh, McKissick has had a remarkably stable start to the year. And if you have owners in your league, which you all do, who love the floor play and the stability, I would be trying to find those people and see if they have any interest in anything for McKissick, because it's probably only going to get worse now. Gibson was not very useful. Robinson was not very useful, but he looked good. He looked like explosive and some opportunities that he got. They just didn't go anywhere. It looked to me a lot like these are guys, and we know this to be true of Gibson, that need like reps and rhythm to get into a groove and to get going. But if the commanders are going to use them the way that they did today, none of those three guys are going to get an opportunity to get into a rhythm and you're going to see a lot of this where like the commanders might have 110 yards on the ground for the game, but none of the assets will be fantasy relevant. Yeah. I I mean, I would not start anybody in the Washington backfield on my team. My assumption is if you still have Antonio Gibson on your roster, he's going to stay on your roster because you're not going to get anything for him in a trade. But also I don't fault you for wanting to see what happens when Brian Robinson comes back. Cause like, I think Antonio Gibson's pretty darn talented as a player. Um, so I always thought there was a chance that he either won, didn't let Brian Robinson like actually take the starting role, which he seems to have, or two, he's good enough that he can he can affect the way the roles are on the team and that maybe we don't see as much McKissick and he gets used a little yeah. more on third down, but that also didn't happen. So unless one of those things changes... I just there's just nothing here, especially because all they want to do is pass. So there's Which, not going to be. What the hell enough. are we doing? You want to know what I heard today? Just to before it just. I didn't fact check this. It's just what I heard on the radio, but it's from like reliable guys on the radio, just the local radio here in DC. When he throws the ball forty times, Carson Wentz was eight and twenty-four coming into this game. When he throws the ball thirty-nine times or less, he's like nineteen and seven or something something like that, where he's winning two out of three when it's 39 or below passing attempts, and he's winning one out of five when it's over 40 passing attempts, and they've had him throw the ball over 40 times every game. I feel like that might be misleading just because it's like, uh, I would guess 
That is, you know, throwing less than 39 times, getting Atlanta wins. He's very efficient on his throws when he's throwing less than 39 times. And that can just be like, how much is that from when he was first with the Eagles and they were flying high? But know? like, figure it out. Figure it I, out. Absolutely. I mean, you're down 21 17 to the Titans. You're basically on the goal line and you're like, let's run two plays to throw the ball to McKissick and coverage. What? Yeah, I mean, I don't what think anyone's doing? like applauding Ron Rivera and Scott Turner for their <sighs> offensive system. We like them in a way because we know that they like to run a more or less high tempo offense and they like to pass a lot, which is normally good for fantasy. And, you know, they're aggressive. But I would say they aren't necessarily known for like being offensive innovators or always putting yeah. their players in the best of positions. I mean, they did spend a season making Curtis Samuel a, a pure deep threat when Carolina they're using him correctly now, but they did misuse him previously. Well, we'll see. That's the Thursday game next week. So anyone, we only get good games on Thursdays. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Uh, Everyone who has those commanders running back pieces, I would suggest maybe you don't play them on Thursday in Chicago, but hold on to them for a week to see what it looks like when they're, potentially in a game where they could be playing from ahead and you might see a little bit more what they'd really truly like to do with those pieces, but we'll find out. We're probably going to get a nine, six, five field goal game in Chicago with the Thursday tradition, but forget those Thursday games. We care mostly about these Sunday games and it, it was a very interesting Sunday slate of football to say the least. So hopefully this, This breakdown of a few things here and there is helpful to everyone. You can find all of our work at jwbfantasyfootball.com. The written articles there on sleepers. We have different articles for Dynasty Football that come out. Uh, A lot of special episodes that are going to come up for you this week. If you're following us on YouTube or on Spotify, which if you are not, please do. That'll be a great way to see some of the special episodes that we do. Um, But outside of the regular three redraft shows that we've been doing, there's a special Dynasty Digest coming up this week where we're going to do like a quarterly roundtable for a breakdown as well. So all kinds of good content coming from the JWB family. Uh, If you don't follow JWB underscore FF on Twitter, that's another great place where you'll see a lot of the retweets of work that's done by everyone who's on staff here as well. But we appreciate you listening. We appreciate the support. We appreciate getting Wyatt out of here before nine o'clock to get some rest. Even uh, even feeling sick, man. You seem like you made it through pretty well. You sound good. Yeah, I'm doing okay. <laughs> all right, we'll take it. Have a great week. Thank you all. We will see you soon.